there's a little sermon notes page that you'll see there uh, tonight, and uh, just have it out handy uh, here in just a moment. I'm going to read uh, just a couple of verses from Ephesians 1, very uh, familiar passage, uh, no doubt, and we'll, we'll come to this passage as well as a couple others uh, this evening. Uh, Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter number 1, uh, verse number 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places, or in Christ, with every spiritual blessing uh, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the praise of his glorious, uh, uh, according to the purpose of his will, excuse me, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us uh, in the beloved. And then if you turn there on that sermon notes page, just want you to note quick here uh, this evening, uh, there's a very long article there from the Canons of the Synod of Dort, one of uh, the Reformed Confessions. Just going to read there a few lines uh, for us to think about tonight. Uh, thinking about the doctrines of God's grace, as we call them sometimes, uh, his grace of election, the grace of Jesus Christ on the cross, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and God's uh, preserving, uh, uh, our persevering, but yet God's uh, preservation uh, in his grace of those who persevere. Uh, And so article, uh, uh, the first uh, point, main point of uh, doctrine, Cancelor 1, article number 7, says this, and this is, uh, again, there on that sermon notes page, speaking of election. So what does it mean when Paul talks about here and praises God uh, in Ephesians 1 uh, that God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that he's predestined us for adoption as sons of God. So election, or choosing, that's what election means, is God's unchangeable purpose by which he did the following. I'm just going to read there that, uh, that paragraph. Before the foundation of the world, which we just saw, by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his will, he, God, chose in Christ to salvation a definite number of particular people out of the entire human race, which had fallen by its own fault from its original innocence into sin and ruin. Those chosen were neither better nor more deserving than the others, but lay with them in the common misery. He did this in Christ, whom he also appointed from eternity to be the mediator and head, uh, the head of all those chosen and the foundation of their salvation. So you can't read the Bible uh, and avoid this doctrine of election. Uh, I don't remember the last time I talked about it. Uh, maybe you remember, maybe in your sermon notes somewhere. I don't recall the last time. I'm supposed to preach on this stuff as a Reformed pastor, but uh, it just hasn't popped up in our, in our sermons for a while. So I don't recall the last time uh, I even preached on election. I was telling someone recently that, uh, you know, we only have a, a lengthy discussion of this because there were uh, various uh, controversies of it. Other than that, we simply want to be simple and speak what the Bible speaks. And so you can't avoid the doctrine of election uh, when you read the Bible, because uh, it's God who chooses to save some and not others. We see that here uh, in Ephesians 1. We'll see it in a couple other passages as well. Uh, if you read your Bible and you just go through it, say in a normal like year or a couple of year plan, just start from the Old Testament and read through. Uh, uh, if you get rid of the doctrine of election, you'll have no Old Testament. Uh, if you get rid of it, the Old Testament makes no sense. 
God, as we've seen from Genesis, he, he chose Isaac, uh, not Ishmael, as that line of the promise, the line of those who would be saved. He chose Jacob, not Esau, as that, again, that line of promise. Uh, the Lord, uh, he, he even separated out a special place of land in Egypt, uh, in Goshen, uh, separated from the Egyptians because Israel was those the Lord had chosen. In the wilderness, though, does that mean that every, everyone, uh, all the Israelites were saved? No, because in the wilderness, we saw there, or we see there that uh, some of them don't believe. And so there's that principle that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 9, that not all Israel, meaning all the people uh, in that nation, are Israel. Uh, God chooses some and not others. Uh, the same idea again. Uh, God chooses Israel, not the nations. You see that throughout the Old Testament uh, in, the, in the historical books, Joshua, Judges, the Kings, Chronicles, Samuel, the prophets speak of this. Uh, they, and they go out into exile, as we saw, uh, we've seen in our Old Testament readings in the morning service from Jeremiah and now in Lamentations, that, uh, th- that the Lord sends them out into exile. And again, not all believe. Some do. Some, there's a remnant of grace. And many embrace the Lord. But behind all this is this idea that God has separated out for himself some and not others. And so the whole Old Testament is premised, and the whole nation of Israel is premised upon the fact that God chose Father Abraham out of an idolatrous family. It's God who chooses, and it's God who is the one who saves. And so sometimes we talk about predestination. That's really a, a bigger idea. That's, that's a part of God's overarching providence over all things, all time. Everything that is made, uh, God uh, is a God of providence and predestination is a part of that, but especially election, election to salvation, to grace, and to eternal glory. That's what we want to focus our hearts about, uh, uh, on tonight. Not about all the issues of what about the non-elect and so forth and this and that. No, what does it mean that God chooses to salvation, to grace, and to glory? And you'll see there, uh, and I promise it'll be short, uh, there's eight little lines, eight little points that we pop out of here, but I'll just mention them quickly as we go through uh, this evening. So what does it mean that God elects? Why do we believe that God elects, besides the fact that it's in the Bible? Uh, What does it mean? Well, first of all, uh, speaking of the when of, or the timing of it, uh, Paul tells us here very simply that it's before the foundation of the world. So kids, what does it mean to say that God, before the foundation of the world, he's chosen us in Christ? What is he saying there? What's he talking about before the foundation of the world? He's talking about creation, isn't he? And where where do we see in the Bible the story of creation? In the book of Genesis, we know, but where in Genesis? The very beginning, isn't it? The very first chapter Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Paul says, before Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created, that God had already, before the foundation was laid of the earth, he created, he's chosen us in Christ. He's predestined us for adoption as sons. There's another passage to look at quickly. Just turn over. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, 2 Timothy chapter number 1, uh, at verse number 9. It's really a, a, a very powerful verse where the apostle uh, says, and he's telling Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering 
for the gospel by the power of God. And then he says this, speaking of God, who, God, saved us. This is why you shouldn't be ashamed. God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Paul as an apostle to Gentiles and Timothy as his spiritual son who's now uh, in Ephesus preaching, planting, pastoring, leading uh, the church there. So he saved us and he's called us to a holy calling. Why? Not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So in in Ephesians 1, he's speaking of creation. Before creation, God has elected to salvation. And then here in in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says it's before human history, right? It's before time itself. Before the ages began, the Lord had already called us and already had uh, uh, given us his grace in Jesus Christ. In other words, election to salvation is an eternal work of God before creation before time, God chose us to salvation. So we, we, want to, we, we realize as creatures that we can't, really, we can't really think of what it was like before, obviously before we existed, but we can't even as a, as a human race understand and begin to think about what it was like before the foundation of the earth, before time itself. And we can be led into various speculations and all kinds of uh, of all, uh, all kinds of ideas that might get us, the wrong, uh, get us on the wrong track. So we want to just simply say, before creation, before Genesis 1, before human history existed, God, as Paul says, God had given us grace before the foundation of the world. So when did God elect? From eternity. From eternity. He's God. He's God. Secondly, why? Why did he do this? It's by his sheer grace. By his sheer grace. Why did God choose Jacob, kids, and not Esau? There were twins. Uh, They are twins, and when they were in the womb, uh, they wrestled in the womb. Why did God choose Jacob, not Esau? Esau came out first. And we saw in Genesis, the story of Genesis, Jacob Jacob, uh, pleased his father even more. You know, as as sons go, he was, you know, the strong firstborn son that every dad wishes he has. So why did God choose Jacob, not Esau? By grace. Yep, that's right. Look at Romans 9. Look at Romans 9 quickly. Hopefully it's quickly. Uh, Romans 9, uh, verse number 11. He, just jumping in there, speaking of uh, Rebecca having these two children, uh, though they, Jacob and Esau, were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad. Notice that. They hadn't done anything, either good or bad. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. In other words, when we say something that's not of works, we're saying it's of grace. It's the opposite. And you see that in chapter number 11 where, where Paul is saying, uh, or he asks, you know, has God rejected his people, the Jews, because most of them have rejected the Lord. They do not believe that Jesus is Messiah, like I do, Paul, Saul is saying. I am an Israelite, he says, a descendant of Abraham, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, but he says this, 
uh, 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 verse 4. But what is God's reply to him? Speaking of God to, uh, to Elijah. I've kept for myself 7,000 men. So from Paul's vantage point, everyone is rejecting the Lord. But then he points out that great story of Elijah, where God says to, to Elijah, when Elijah thought he was the only one left, no, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. Verse 5. So too at the present time, Paul said, there is a remnant chosen by what? By grace. But if it is by grace, notice the contrast here, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace would no longer be grace. If God chose Jacob because Jacob was, he saw, even that he foresaw that Jacob was going to be a better man, a more godly man, or a holy man, or a fit vessel. It's no longer of grace. It's of works. That's why I printed out there on that sermon notes page, I won't read it, but uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, when God is telling through Moses the Israelites why it was that he chose Israel and not, the whole, uh, uh, not any other nation. And he says, it wasn't because you were greater in number than every other nation. He says that I love you. No, he, cho- he says, I chose you because I loved you. That's all he says. It wasn't anything in Israel that they had already done or that he foresaw them ever doing. No, it's because the Lord your God loved you that he chose you. By sheer grace. Why did God choose Jacob, not Esau? Why does God choose anyone, and in, in contrast to anyone else, by sheer grace? By sheer grace. Thirdly, again, a little more deeply in terms of why, it's according to the free, good pleasure of his will. And we see that in Ephesians 1, uh, once again, uh, verse number 5, uh, that he predestined us for adoption to himself as son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. The will of God determines those whom will be saved. Again, verse 11, in him, in Christ, we've obtained an inheritance, Paul says, Having been predestined, how? According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So there's this very big emphasis in Paul's writings on God's will, God's choice, God's determination. Not ours. And that will of God is free. It's not compelled by us in any way. Sometimes we, we hear that illustration, you know, God is sort of like, uh, Bob Eubanks and Stephanie Edwards, you know, uh, watching the Rose Parade every day on uh, uh, every year on on New Year's uh, on New Year's morning, and and God sits up there in the booth, and he can see the very beginning of uh, the parade, and he can see the very end of the parade, sort of like the Rose Parade in Pasadena, and he sees the whole thing from beginning to end, and he sees it all marching before him. And so to speak, the human race is like that. And and he sees those who are going to follow that straight and narrow road, who are going to choose the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who are going to follow that broad route that leads to destruction. In other words, God foresees those who are going to believe and choose him and will to be saved. And therefore, on the basis of that, God then saves them. God then chooses them. God then elects them. That makes God compelled or contingent upon us as creatures. No, God's will is free. It's his own good 
pleasure, right? It's his own good pleasure. Nothing made him do this. And it's his will, not ours. So God chooses for the foundation of the world. He does it by sheer grace, according to the free good pleasure of his own will. And then the next thing is in Christ. Where does he choose, so to speak? Where? It's in Christ. Ephesians 1, 4. In him. In him. To say it's in Christ means, and this is really important to say, that it's, that it's not a capricious thing, that God doesn't just sort of you know, juggle people's names from heaven and sort of like uh, the Powerball, what's it, like a billion plus dollars. You know, if you go buy your Powerball tonight, you might have a chance, you know, as all those balls are sort of floating in that little thing of uh, the air is popping them all around and they just randomly fall into those little slots. God doesn't choose like that. It's not randomness. It's not just that God is sort of, you know, brutally sovereign in his power and he just does this and does that for no good reason. No, he always chooses in Christ, in view of Christ. And what that means is, for us is uh, that Jesus Christ, as, as many writers have said, is like a mirror for us. You know, we don't want to think about predestination and election just as bare ideas severed from Christ. You only should think about election and predestination in terms of Jesus Christ. He's like a mirror. Look at him. Look at him. And if you look at him in, like in a mirror, you'll see grace and mercy. Out, outside of looking at Jesus Christ, it's sort of like uh, being in a, in a corn maze that you can't get out of. There's no exit. There's no way out. There's no escape. Or like a labyrinth where you're, you're lost forever and ever and ever. When we think about election outside of Christ, that's what happens to us. We, we speculate. We go crazy. We should only think of election to salvation in Christ. In Christ alone. God chooses us in Christ. Who does he choose? A definite number, uh, that article says. A definite Number. He, 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 he actually chose Abram, not Abram's family. He was, a, he was a part of a family of, of idol worshippers, Joshua tells us. God chose Abram, definitely chose him, and from him he chooses, of course, Isaac, Jacob, and then eventually we see that he chooses amongst the whole nation that not all Israel are Israel. Some are saved. Many are not. But he definitely chooses individual people. And you see that in Romans chapter 9. Jacob, not Esau. Right? God chose Paul, Saul. And of all of his classmates at Gamaliel's school of uh, rabbinical studies, he chose Saul to be his apostle to the Gentiles. God chooses definite people. That's important because sometimes people say, well, God chooses a, a big idea of all those who will be saved or all those who will believe are the elect. Well, yes, all those who believe are the elect. But did God from eternity think of individuals? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And he chose individuals out of the fallen human reigns. Just like election is always in view of Jesus, 
It's always in view of the fallen human race. It's completely undeserving. It's completely undeserving. You don't deserve. You don't deserve salvation. And that's the point. That's what makes grace grace. It's undeserving. It's without works, apart from merits. It's it's apart from even foreseen faith. He chooses out of a fallen human race, sheerly of his grace, according to his own good pleasure. Well, why did he choose me and, and not him? Or why did he choose me, not her? The good pleasure of God. That's all you need to know. That's what, the, that's what the Bible says. The good pleasure of God. There's nothing that makes me more worthy, makes you more worthy than anyone else in your family. Your brother, your sister, your cousin, whoever. There's nothing in you that makes you better, makes you different, makes you more worthy, more deserving, more fit for election. No, out of a fallen human race. Out of a fallen human race. And he does all this to be saved. He elects us to be saved. Here's the why. Why does God choose from all of eternity, out of his sheer grace, according to his own free good pleasure of his own will, in Christ, a definite number, out of the fallen human race, why does he do this? To be saved. Ephesians 1, verse 3 again, that uh, we have every single spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And then there's that little phrase in verse 4, even as... So he describes here a parallel. These these things are parallel. To have every single spiritual blessing is to have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So what does it mean to be elect? It means to have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. Such as, as he goes on to describe, being adopted into the family of God as a son of God, as a child of God. To have, as he goes on to describe here, redemption through Christ, the forgiveness of every single one of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he lavished upon us. To have an inheritance, verse 11, as he describes it there. Uh, to, to, To have the Spirit of God as a guarantee, as a down payment, that I will eventually inherit everything in reality. Not just in principle, on paper, so to speak, in the will. No, I'll actually have possession of it. Why did God choose for salvation? For salvation. That might seem like an obvious point, but he chose not just to choose, he chose to salvation. Again, in uh, 2 Timothy uh, 1, verse number 9, he saved us, right? He saved us, giving us that grace in Christ before the ages, before time even began. He saved us. So we are chosen to be saved. This is the goal. This is the purpose of God's free, uh, unfettered, uh, uncompelled grace and will is to save, is to save sinners. Out of the mass of humanity that are fallen their sins, God rescues us. And all of it is to the praise of his mercy and his grace. As Paul says here multiple times in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. Romans 9, there are two vessels, there are two pieces of clay. He makes one for glory and he makes one for, uh, one for honor, one for dishonor, one for glory, one for destruction. All to display his glory. His glory and his grace. 
So what does this mean for us? There's a lot of points here, but what does, this, what does it mean for us? It means this. First of all, when we hear about election in the Bible, it should lead us to glorify God for his grace. Glorify God for his grace. Have you thought about his grace towards you, an undeserving sinner lately? His grace. You don't deserve it. But he loves you. And he's chosen. Secondly, believe in Christ. When you hear about election, again, don't speculate and think, you know, beyond the... uh, God gives us a little glimpse behind the scenes, so to speak. But we don't want to think too much about it because it can cause us to uh, kind of go stir crazy. Think about Christ. Believe in Christ. He's the mirror of your election. And if you believe in Christ, you can be assured that he has chosen you uh, way before you even believe. Thirdly, seek God's will for your life. When Paul talks here about uh, being predestined, it's for adoption to be holy and to be blameless. Notice that, the connection between God has predestined us and he's chosen us. Why? To be sons who live according to the will of God. Are you trying to, are you trying to live a godly life? Do you love God? Do you want to love God? Are you trying to love your neighbor as yourself? That's the fruit of thinking about election. Seeking God's will for your life. So glorify God for his grace, first of all. Believe in Jesus as a mirror of your election, second of all. Seek God's will for your life, third. And finally, because God chooses, because God elects to salvation and all those things that I just mentioned, because God chooses, tell somebody about Christ. When we think about election, it should never just end there. Because God chooses some and not others, whom he alone knows, you don't. Act like everybody's going to be, uh, act like everybody's elect. Speak the gospel to them. Trust God by the power of the Holy Spirit to give them new life, to cause them to believe, to cause them to trust in the Lord, to cause them to then want to serve God and live according to his life, to, to cause them to glorify God for his grace. We don't evangelize, we don't witness, we don't preach in spite of the doctrine of election. We do it because. We preach because election is true. We witness to our neighbors because election is true. We try to be a good witness because God is the one who chooses. And like I said this morning in Acts, it's amazing that he actually uses you and me as the the vessel, the instrument to make that real in someone's life, to have them come to realize Christ alone is the Savior and then to know that God has chosen to save them. Glorify God for his grace. Believe in Jesus Christ. Seek God's will for your life. Tell somebody about Christ because God is the one who chooses to salvation. Let's give God thanks. Amen? Amen. Amen.